0: Mm-hmm. To the monday lorians a podcast where a bunch of star wars fans get together for a chat on a monday discussing the latest episode of well is it the book of boba fett anymore hmm so uh this is a very strange episode for us because it's the first one where neither jake nor dave are able to make it because they've both been purged unfortunately by the empire uh so we've got our very first guest our very first foundling and why doesn't he introduce himself?
1: Hey, I'm uh, Chris, and thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, because we've got a very interesting history together regarding this. Yeah. I always try to guess this. I think you're my oldest friend, in terms of people I still am in contact with. And uh, I believe we became friends because of Star Wars.
1: I think so. You're definitely the person who I have the most history of discussing this franchise with, like, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, so it's quite funny. That's probably, like, kind of the origin story of this podcast. So, in a way, you're integral to the lore of the show already, without having ever been mentioned.
1: Oh, well, I'm so glad to be revealed at this point. Uh, This episode is an outlier in the series, as it is, so this feels almost appropriate.
0: It's fitting, yeah, because this is the episode where a character has just kind of taken over, and a lot of the old characters we're used to seeing are just gone. Mm. So um, so you are Din Jaren this week, Chris. Well done.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: So, Chris, yeah, because you've never been on the show before, I suppose I should ask, like, what do you think of this show so far?
1: It troubles me occasionally. It Like, it hasn't been as smooth sailing, I feel, as uh, The Mandalorian anyway. Um, but I, I've been enjoying it a lot. Um, but I definitely had problems with some of the episodes um i think three in particular uh had me a bit irate
0: was that the uh, the the biker gang was, introduction yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've got a, a kind of a new mantra on the show i think me and dave started is just to let people know like i'm not we're not upset because people get upset about this stuff just because we have problems doesn't mean we're upset
1: no i'm not upset i uh no i just question the message i suppose um i don't understand
0: it's quite interesting yeah because we go back so far and i think we usually are re- quite similar in our opinions which mm. maybe is part of discussing it so much together because you know i'm pretty much in the same boat as you you know this is this, this ups and downs but i suppose what do you think about this episode specifically
1: i mean i was very happy to see more mandalorian um see more din de but i was also, I mean, like, it's the book of Boba, and there's no Boba. It's like, where's Boba? I'll I'll, I'll grant that, like, Grogu and Din, Din Djarin, I am so happy to see them in the show, and I know we're going to get more of that, so I'm more than happy to have a little bit of a break. Um, but I found, and maybe this is getting into it too quickly, but I like um, Amy Sedaris. Amy Sedaris, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think a lot of her screen time uh, I found that some of the parts of the episode that didn't move me the most um, and occasionally grated on me a little uh, and I still don't know why, it's just the pay- the pace uh, bothered me a little
0: yeah, no I get that we'll get into like uh, the Amy Sedaris bit specifically when we get there but it is funny because it was uh, only a few episodes ago she has like a very minor cameo I think mm. in an aerial shot you see her from behind and i said oh that's good that's a fine cameo because that character who i don't mind she she talks a lot you know and it's just sometimes you are like it's kind of overbearing and i found that in mandalorian so mm. it's quite funny then that i was like oh no it wasn't just a cameo she's she's in the majority of this episode mm. Not, not a deal breaker.
1: No, not at all. And a lot of it was very cool. Um, I really dig his new Starfighter, the N1. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, all in all, I mean, like, I, I'm kind of torn. Like, I feel like I'm half and half on, like, I'm rooting for this episode. But at the same time, it's, I'm torn. I'm torn.
0: Yeah. I had a, an incredibly mildly popular tweet about this episode. Where I said uh, I'm not going to discuss it in detail, but wouldn't it be funny if there was an episode in the first season of Frasier that took place entirely in the Cheers bar and yeah. Frasier never showed up? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I um, I really liked this episode, but I think it compounded like a lot of the feelings of why I'm not enjoying the Boba Fett show as much. Yeah, it's, I'm I'm already like just so much more interested in the Mandalorian story. But yeah, I suppose I forgot to say this, but for the listeners, we're talking about the fifth episode, titled Return of the Mandalorian. Uh, This particular one was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, daughter of Ron Howard, director of Solo, and director of two previous episodes of Mandalorian. It's once again written by Jon Favreau, who also appears in it, vocally at least, as Paz Vizsla, you know, uh, returning to the role for Mandalorian, and also playing an ancestor of a character he voiced in Clone Wars. So it's a whole family of Mandalorians who sound like John Favreau, which is quite funny. I don't know if the women in the family do, but that's one for Wikipedia. Mm. And uh, once again, the DOP is David Klein. So we've got a few other cast members. So Pedro Pascal, of course, returns as Din Djarin. Whether he's in the suit or just a voice, it's probably the voice due to COVID as well. And just generally, I don't know how much he gets to the set. Emily Swallow returns us the Armourer, and Amy Sedaris, as mentioned, returns us Peli I feel as though as we covered our overall thoughts, so we'll be getting to the episode breakdown.
1: So we open with several Klatunian butchers working in an abattoir. As Din Djeron strides in, he enters into an office where he states that he is looking for a cab of buys. When one sounds of, like couple of bays. Yeah, It does. It sounds like kababais. <laughs>
0: I, I should have also, sorry, mentioned to the audience that uh, this is going to be a very Irish sounding episode of the podcast. Yeah. So just pretend it's from Gwygon Jin's planet. Oh, it's yeah. still canon.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Jedi. <laughs> when one of the Clatoonians asks what makes him think he is here, Djeron presents a tracking fob. One of the Clatoonians says that if he sees him, he will let him know. However, Djarin replies that he sees him now before, presenting a hologram image of Baez. Baez attempts to negotiate with Djarin. Djarin replies that he can either bring him in warm or cold. One of the Clatoonians bites Djarin's hand, but the Mandalorian fights. More Clatoonians converge on him, but Djarin unsheathes the Darksaber, which he uses to knock down several opponents. During the struggle, accidentally wounds his own left knee, leaving a burnt patch. He then slices Baez in half, with the saber slicing through the table as well. Several Clotoonians gather outside the office as Djarin emerges with Baez's head. He offers them the loot if they let him pass. The Clotoonians clear a path for Dejaron before heading into the office to claim the credits for themselves.
0: So yeah, that's kind of the opening act of the episode in a way, kind of like a cold open, like a James Bond movie almost.
1: I really dug it. It, yeah, uh, uh, like I thought it was a really wonderful, wonderfully cinematic way just to bring the Mando back into the fold. Yeah,
0: I was gonna say I saw some people online who were like uh, weirdly down on it because they didn't like the aesthetic of the place, but I, re- I really did. It felt like something from a David Fincher film. Mm. It's like kind of creepy environment, this butcher shop run by these gross aliens mm,
1: with real blue and kind of grey tones to it, yeah um, and the uh I don't know what, I said this to my brother, we were watching the episode together, they, I mean they just, I couldn't stop laughing at them because their design reminded me of like a pug or a boxer, I'm not sure
0: they kind of remind me of the Who's from Who'sville in the Grinch mm. <laughs> maybe that's just me but I found those guys creepier no, in actually,
1: Yeah, now that you say that, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I really dug this. And it's slightly disappointing for me in the sense that initially it was because I was like, oh, has he just immediately gone back to bounty hunting for the sake of bounty hunting? Because hmm. the, uh, the end of Mandalorian season two, it seems like he's got a kind of higher aspirations now. But then when you see the dark saber come into it, you realize this is still part of that story mm. that is yet to be seen. And that reveal that he's using it now is very exciting. But
1: he can't. Um, he's not proficient at wielding it yet.
0: No, no, not yet. No. But it's it's fun as well. He gets uh, injured in this scene because a big complaint we've had on this show, or maybe I've had and it's kind of caught on, is that the Beskar army makes him kind of boring. Because really? he's always just shrugging off bullets constantly, hmm. you know. Like a lot, it's a lot of situations you don't feel there's any real threat to him, but this is nice to see him actually hurt himself as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I I found it kind of jolted me a bit because he's a character who's supposed to be extremely just good at using weapons and fighting in general. Um, so, I, like, it almost seemed like. I don't know, just out of character, or this character needs to develop because he's got this new thing that he just can't. You know, it like there's some symbolism for the mantle of Mandalore, mm. in a way. I suppose he has to grow as a character if you know there's gonna be some advancement made there.
0: Because that's something I like though is it kind of shows that it's this isn't just a weapon. This is kind of like a religious thing as well. Mm. You know, there's an element of that to it because for Mandalorians they say weapons are their religion. But they don't have like a connection to any specific weapon or they're not that personal for them.
1: Actually speaking of this, um, because something the armorer said which struck me as very interesting, you know, the Beskar pike that hmm. he had and she melted to make uh we don't actually know because we didn't see it, but I suspect it's like chainmail or something for Grogu. Yeah. But she said that weapon can pierce Beskar i'm paraphrasing and you know that's like like that's it almost goes against the idea of the mandalorian creed i guess because of that yeah. i just found that in i I found that interesting so like you know fighting and weapon they are very integral to their religion but the idea but i, I think it's the armor more so than the weapons
0: yeah because yeah. i remember there was an episode of rebels where the empire developed a weapon that kind of like vaporize you if you're wearing Beskar, Beskar armor.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So it's interesting to see this all weaved in. This kind of idea of what's a noble way to fight what's not <laughs> for mm. their creed. It seems like they kind of just don't like anything where they're going to lose. So I think their religion is is just pure salt.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, some, I mean when someone fights someone has to lose you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Jaren visits the ring world of Glavis. He enters a meeting room in a club. And Ishi Tib compliments Jaren for his fast work. But Jaren reminds the Ishi Tib that he wants his reward and the information that he's been promised. The Ishi Tib asks why he is rushing, but Jaren insists on getting straight to business. The Ishi Tib relents and tells Jaren to head down to Kolzok Alley by the heat vent towers. It was just paused briefly to say how happy I am to, to see like these locations... In this show, because I've been getting quite tired of Tatooine mm. <laughs> for the last maybe 26 years of my life. <laughs> so to see this just like really cool, like Mass Effect style ring world, like it reminded me so much of the Citadel. And he even goes into a club with awkward dancing. And, you know, if you like Mass Effect, this is all, this is gold. You know, oh,
1: that was a highlight for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so following the trail... He encounters the Armourer, who tells Paz Vizsla, who is dead, the heavy Mando from, I think, only Season 1 of Mandalorian. That's the last time we saw him. Tells him to tend to Jaren's leg injury, saying that he did not know if he would see him again. Jaren thanks Vizsla for saving him on Navarro, apologizing for the tribe's sacrifice. Vizsla responds that there are now only three of them left. Uh, when the Armourer asks what weapon caused this wound, Jaren shows him the Darksaber, The Armourer mockingly states that while the Galactic Empire lasted less than 30 years, Mandalorians have existed for 10,000 years. She asks if Jaren knows about the uh, the Darksaber and its significance. Jaren explains that whoever wields it can lead all of Mandalore. The Armourer talks about a legend of one warrior defeating 20, and that multitudes will fall before it. However, if it is not won in combat and falls into the hands of the undeserving, it would be a curse upon the nation. This dark saber was forged over a millennium ago by Tara Vizsla, who was both Mandalorian and Jedi. And Vizsla asks how he obtained the dark saber. Jaron replies that he defeated Moff Gideon, but Jaron explains that he spared him and was, he was sent off to the New Republic to be interrogated. So yeah, that's a lot of um, a lot of like, exposition dump there. But mm. I think it's kind of necessary for people who haven't been following like those animated shows throughout. There's
1: so much back. There's so much backstory to this like it you know never mind video games just the stuff that happened in the clone wars there is there is a lot of context
0: yeah there is i don't know about you i really enjoyed just seeing these dudes pop up again because i have been wondering for a while what became of them Mm. and just the armor is such a interesting like medieval-esque design that i yeah i'm a
1: i'm a big fan yeah i was very happy to see um the coven were back um Whoa, well, granted, what's left of them yeah reduced in number but uh not not destroyed
0: now they have like just enough to like hold a podcast which is always <laughs> a, a worrying number to get to
1: <laughs> yeah
0: the armorer asks about the Beskar spear Jaren explains that he obtained it from a Jedi she opines that Mandalorian steel is meant for armor rather than weapons Jaren requests that she forge the spear into armor while the armorer smelts the Beskar's Spear, Jaren takes a seat and asks if she is familiar with Bo-Katan Crees. The Armorer describes Crees as a cautionary tale who wanted to rule Mandalore based purely on blood and the dark saber. The Armorer points out that it was gifted to her and not won by Creed. Her rule ended in tragedy. Crees lost her way, while the Mandalorian people lost their homeworld. If their sect had not been cloistered on the Muna Concordia, they would not have survived the Great Purge. In a flashback scene, Tide bombers bomb the city of uh, the cities of Mandalore, and KX series security droids and probe droids then scour the ruins for survivors. So yeah, we learn a lot here about <laughs> what's happened even like since rebels. Mm. So what, what do you make of all this, Chris?
1: Well, I gotta say, I'd like for a start, it was nice that there was a nod to Bo Katan, and also that flashback to purging of Mandalore was really cool scary in a very cool way i guess
0: no i liked that they had this conversation about bo because i had kind of a worry after season two that they're kind of painting her as kind of a good guy hmm. and she she's like a horrendous war criminal <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, yeah as far as i'm concerned so i'm glad that that is something they're taking into account and i presume that will means she might be like the primary antagonist of the next season of uh, mandalorian because of course she wants that blade back and that's kind of a weird unexplained thing between how that season ends and now is why that wasn't resolved
1: then that would be a really great setup like that's definitely something i as a viewer would i don't know pine for i guess yeah i hope it's not just skipped over no, I, 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 I really want to see the Mandalorian fighting other Man- Mandalorians, which we got a bit of in the fight between Visla and Din Djarin.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I just, that period sequence is really, really neat. It's very um, uh, James Cameron, like Terminator future stuff almost. Oh,
1: yeah, it's so cool. Also, just the sheer number of TIE bombers uh, <laughs> is, I don't know, it it's very it's very, I don't know. I don't want to keep saying cinematic, but it is. It's very like
0: it's very extra.
1: Yeah, it's very extra, in in the most wonderful way with like three X's.
0: Yeah. Oh, I I love that. This is another thing that Sheev signed off on. <laughs> it's like it wasn't enough that he has a a planet destroying space station. It's no. like, he can do this crap as well. Yeah. Like, why did he need the Death Star? This seems like a pretty good strategy. He's just the most extra man who's ever lived, and died, oh. and lived again. <laughs> so the Armourer says that only those who walked away escaped the curse prophesied in the Creed. When the Armourer asks what she should forge, Jaren suggests that he wants the Beskar forged into something for Grogu. The Aramur says that Jedi must forego all attachment in order to master the ways of the Force. Jaren replies that the Jedi Code is the opposite of their creed, which emphasizes loyalty and solidarity. The Aramur melts and beats the Beskar into links of chain. So, yeah, and I think this is the first time we get uh, Grogu referenced. I I still want to call him Baby Yoda, mm. just because I think it's such a funny name. Mm. But uh, but I concede, and we'll move on to that point. So, uh, yeah, Chris, were you surprised that this is still, like a big focus for this character
1: no um i i don't know why but i wasn't uh i feel like there was no way that was you know that was just going to be thrown away after Mm. the mandalorian like um and i'm really glad it's kind of been made an integral an integral thing like it's something dejarin really cares about because i mean like that's also everyone like everyone loves baby yoda so yeah now it's I wasn't surprised
0: I was surprised that It was a kind of immediate Concern just for the storyline
1: Because
0: I felt like it was almost something That might have been put on hold for a bit
1: Mm, Yeah
0: Considering like the last thing we saw was Them parting ways Mm. And that's the end The end of this episode kind of hints Is going to be It might even be in the next episode It sounded like it was going to be Some kind of reunion But, uh, yeah, no, I was surprised by that. Not a a surprise, to be sure, but a welcome one.
1: Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. I mean, they didn't waste any time, and, you know, there was no preface or subtle. It was just, you know, this is my deal.
0: I would love it if this um, potential Beskar chainmail is some kind of nonsensical way of explaining, like, him surviving the purge of Luke's temple. Yeah. it's like oh he had a bulletproof a bulletproof vest or something you know
1: yeah yeah i wouldn't i mean i wouldn't put a pa- I i wouldn't put anything past this franchise at this point oh. um
0: <laughs> yeah uh well, I hope that doesn't turn out to be true anyway.
1: I mean, I hope it is uh, chainmail. I mean, I don't know why I think it is. I feel, like a, I feel like we saw some rings or something.
0: Yeah, no, I think so. And just uh, the shape of the package he has later on. Mm. It feels like there's not going to be a helmet or something in there, you know? No. So later on, the armorer practices sword fighting with Jaren, prompting the armor to warn him that he is fighting the blade. Jaren thinks that the, the blade belongs to someone else. A sentiment shared by Vizsla, who says that the sword was forged by his ancestor, the founder of House Vizsla. So Vizsla challenges Jaren for the blade, and the two men have a reasonably length duel. Mm. Jaren gains the upper hand and holds Vizsla's knife against his own throat. Again, okay, that's against Visla's throat, not his own throat. <laughs> that wouldn't make
1: sense. No, that'd be a real power move. Yeah,
0: the Armourer orders an end to the duel. She then asks Visla if he, if he has ever removed his helmet, or has ever, or has it ever been removed by others. While Vizla says no, Jaren must eventually admit that he has removed his. The armor responds that means he is no longer a Mandalorian. Jaren begs for forgiveness and asks how he can atone. According to creed, one can only be redeemed in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore. Jaren replies that all the mines have been destroyed the armor replies that this is the way jaron departs yeah this is the way this is the way we usually say that at the very end of the show so i don't know if have we like made a curse by saying it now Mm. (laughs) speaking of curses yeah we get some exciting mandalorian on mandalorian action Mm. not in a saucy way i realized that that came out i i thought it was a really fun sequence i love its setting it's so uh it's very, like, Star wars either They're on this platform mm. above an abyss. They're jumping around on platforms. I especially enjoy when they, they take off their jetpacks at the start and place them down.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: As much as I would have loved to have seen them flying around fighting, I like that as, like, a detail of their lore. It's like mm. they'll pick whether to use them or not in a fight like this. Yeah, no, this is a, a cool little sequence of... And it's fun to see this this big dude who's been, you know, when you first see him in the first season, you're wondering like, oh, could he take him? Yeah. And now you get to see, you can take him. Yeah.
1: His uh, knife or kni- his, yeah, his knife is very cool as well. It's a vibro, vibro blade. Just the way it flickers is wonderful. It actually really reminded me of um, Dune. Another series, not quite Star Wars, but.
0: Well, it was, a, it was a big influence on Star Wars. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, um, you know. The, the sci-fi desert, the spice, uh, oh, lots of stuff. Even, like, the voice and the force. Uh, there's a lot of parallels. If Jake oh was God. on, I've never even he could really go into I've,
1: no, I've never even thought about that.
0: Well, Chris, it was to the point where in one of the Dune sequels, Frank Herbert uh, made a series of robots that were making fun of Star Wars, subtly. You're joking. I think they were called, like, 3PO's or something, oh, he's and they were mentioned... <laughs> No, no, I'm not. And it's mentioned that these robots are like a cheap knockoff of a really good thing. Oh my god! There's some really catty stuff. Oh, that in there. is
1: so brilliant.
0: Yeah, that's why uh, Frank Herbert will not be on the podcast. He's just too salty. Oh no, we can't allow that. <laughs> and he's also dead. There's history between the two.
1: Hmm. I gotta, awesome. I gotta mention something. Just going back to you know their discussion, which precedes the duel. So Digeron agrees. He says the blade is it belongs to someone else. Mm. Um, so, do you think he's gonna hang on to the dark saber?
0: Well, I think when he said that, the context of it was he he was saying maybe it's not for me. But I think he then like fights to keep it, mm. and that I find really interesting because at the end of season two. He was so flippant. He was like, oh, you know, I don't care. Have it. I don't want to fight for this stupid thing. So I wonder what's happened between then and now that he seems to be wanting to train with it. Something that he knows is a symbol of leading his people. Mm. It seems like maybe we're missing some pieces between then and now that we'll have explained later on. But uh, yeah, us is a like, motivation I'm, I'm pondering.
1: Hmm. I mean, the armor is very clear that you know, in the wrong hands, like it will lead the Mandalorians to ruin.
0: Hmm. And it's interesting because by their own creed, according to Clone Wars, you don't even need to be a Mandalorian in any sense to get it if you win it in battle. mm Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a curious thing. I'm I'm interested to see what the politics of it is, especially now that he's been disowned from being a Mandalorian by the only other two Mandalorians he knows. Of, well, of that creed, I should say specifically.
1: Although this is, as you, you know, as you said, a really good reason for Bo Katan to kind of come and come back into the fold.
0: Yeah, and I do like the the, the horse hockey of oh, if you want to be re- redeemed, you've got to go to a, a well underneath Mandalore. And yeah. yeah, it's just see. I I rewatched the uh, the Master recently. Have you seen the Master?
1: No, I've been meaning to watch that.
0: It's a great movie where um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's kind of a facsimile of uh, L. Ron Hubbard, creator of Scientology. Yeah, yeah. And just some of the gibberish he says reminds me of a Mandalorian religion sometimes. (laughs) I'd like it if Jin realises he's in like a pyramid scheme or something. I suppose he was was kind of raised by this cult, so Hmm. we'll see where that goes.
1: Yeah, I mean, because that's like... Are they a religion? Are they a cult? I mean...
0: It, it's a weird thing, because it's, it's a... It's an... Eth- not ethnicity, uh, but... No, it, it, a- it,
1: it is an ethnicity, actually. Well, I mean, an, an alien ethnicity, because the original Mandalorians were um just a race of aliens, and then they... I can't... I, I think they brought other aliens into their culture, and eventually mm. they all died off, and the only thing that remained of them was their culture of armoury and fighting. I don't think any of the original Mandalorian species exist um at this point in time anyway, definitely um when the show is set.
0: Is um, that um like old EU or do you know is that currently I have the...
1: no, I have no idea. Um yeah. I can't even remember where their like I don't know what the current explanation for the you know the skull, the Mythosaur skull. Mm. I'm not like I don't even know what the significance of that is to because yeah, the EU is it's gone through so many iterations at this point that it's I find it very hard to keep up. And I was someone who was very well versed in well, the yeah, the old um legacy universe before it uh before the Great Reset or whatever. Before the Great Purge. <laughs> yeah. Before before the Dark <laughs> Another times. one.
0: So all I know of it the so significance is it's mentioned in The Mandalorian that they're, they're like ancient creatures that the Mandalorians used to ride into battle. Mm. And I believe that was made as a reference to the holiday special where you're introduced to Boba Fett riding a dinosaur. Oh my god. So I believe that's currently. As much as people know, I don't think they actually know what a Mythosaur looks like in canon. Mm. I don't believe they've appeared, but that might be something that comes up later on.
1: Because there certainly are a lot of um, symbols that they kept, but I don't know if they kept the uh, significance behind them.
0: I know Boba Fett has like an icon of wheat or something on some of his armor. It looks like that, and I don't know if that because Concord Dawn has a lot of wheat. I seem to remember. Wheat,
1: uh, do you know where it is on his armor?
0: One second, I'm just literally going to Google Boba Fett wheat. That's
1: exactly what I did.
0: <laughs> do you see it? Am I crazy? Is that w- meant to be wheat?
1: Oh, that's the symbol of the true Mandalorians. So the guy who taught him Jaster Muriel and the sect that they belong to, I think, were called the true Mandalorians of Concord Dawn. I could be wrong about that. But yeah, it does. It It looks like wheat. Looks like wheat with on the left hand a drop of blood and on the right hand a number seven.
0: So from now on, I want it to be known that this is a show that gets experts on, because <laughs> I I just called it wheat, and yeah. it apparently has great religious significance. So, uh, <laughs> apologies to the the Mandalorians out there. The true, the true Mandalorians. The true Mandalorians, which is a a dodgy thing.
1: Only a true Mandalorian would uh <laughs>
0: Well, it's the a, a true Scotsman fallacy. In, yeah, insert, in
1: insert your ridiculous claim here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, moving on from Wheat.
1: Jaron heads to the spaceport where a flight is departing to Tatooine. A droid tells Djarin that no weapons are permitted aboard the flight. Jaron places all his weapons, hesitantly, in a lockbox, even the Darksaber. Um, this is then checked in as luggage to the flight. He warns the droid that he knows everything inside before climbing aboard the gangplank. The passenger liner lands at Moss Eisley Spaceport. Djarin retrieves his check-in luggage, which contains, amazingly, all of his weapons intact.
0: I was um, expecting that this would be the cause of a bit of episode drama.
1: I, too, was expecting that. Um, and I was... Kind, like I was actually kind of shocked when that didn't happen. I was... Uh, glad, but I was surprised.
0: I like you know, it's just another little bit of world building. Mm. Just yeah, obviously, they need to check in weapons on these things because everyone seems to just carry a gun in this quasi-Western sci-fi environment. So it's fun to see, and they've gotten so much mileage out of that droid design. It's just from a uh, Star Tours originally, the Disney the Disney park ride. Oh, really? Which I think is from the 70s or 80s but this dude's appeared in a lot of like animated stuff and even in this show previously as a i think a a poker dealer or something in the bar
1: mm-hmm. i was i was really expecting you know something to go missing and there to be this big him traipsing around moss searching for the thief i was kind of glad that they didn't go down that road to be honest
0: I was almost thinking it's going to be a sitcom style, like "Oh no, they mixed up my suitcase with someone else." Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and he mixes up with Max Rebo, so oh. he's got a little piano, and Max Rebo has a dark saber.
1: Oh, that'll be cool! You know, Mandalorian. Like this, this is literally just a musical episode. <laughs> um, he becomes a and, session musician.
0: <laughs> oh, and uh, for regular listeners, we've made it this far, and is my obligatory Max Rebo mention? Yes. This happens far too often. Mm.
1: At Peli Motto's hangar, a Womp Rat grabs a BD unit droid. Peli attempts to rescue the droid, but is attacked by the rat too. She's saved by the Mando, who welcomes her armoured friend. Yeah, so Djarin says that he received her message that she had found a replacement for the Razor Crest. When Peli asks about Grogu, Djarin replies that he returned him to his own kind. Pelly grumbles, saying that she could have made more money from that thing by opening a petting zoo. Peli leads Djarin into a hangar to reveal a modified N1 starfighter, um, the Naboo starfighter. Uh, Dejarin is disappointed with the condition of the ship and tries to walk away, thinking that the ship is a piece of junk. Peli tells Dejarin to hear her out. Offering to incorporate custom modifications that will make the starship faster than a
0: fathier? A fathier?
1: Fathier? I'm not sure. You know, the the horses from Last Jedi. Oh. Oh. That completely went over my head. She convinces Djarin to to let her put the ship together before he makes a decision to cancel the purchase.
0: So yeah, I guess we'll just stop there a second and just talk about this little segment. Uh, mostly because I just wanted to talk about uh, the introduction of the BD unit droid.
1: Yeah, I really wanted to talk about this as well because that was a wonderful little... Uh, like, I was very glad to see a BD droid.
0: For listeners who might not know the name of that, that is uh, the droid sidekick type from Jedi Fallen Order. Mm. Looks like a pair of binoculars with little legs.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's really cool design, i got to say. i, I kind of much preferred... Um the design of the bd droid to the bb droid the, spher- the spherical design i wasn't i don't know i wasn't really gone on the sphere i
0: liked seeing uh, later on in the episode it uses i believe one of its functions from the game to make like a holographic version of a ship part for them to see where it fits in in the ship uh, and that's just a really cool little thing to see that it's kind of purpose from the game is still its purpose in uh, a live-action environment.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's cool to see that kind of interplay uh, between the mediums. Um, great game, by the way. I've played that during Christmas, and it's probably my favorite. It's definitely my favorite Star Wars game that I've played in the last five years. Later, as Djarin works on the ship, Peli returns with a rare ship part. When asked where she got it from, Peli replies, the Jawas. She introduces Djarin to her Jawa associates, and asks if they can get a, them a list of parts. He gives them a wish list. Peli and Dejarin continue to work on the ship, deep in a convoluted discussion about ship parts and modifications. The Jawas return with a cryogenic density combustion booster. The Jawas explained that they stole it from a pike spice runner that was refueling. Peli tells Dejarin that the pikes control the spice trade and rule Tatooine through terror. Dejarin thanks the Jawas and pays them probably thinks Djarin spoils them with the payment.
0: There's two little bits from this segment that we need to discuss. Hmm. Uh, one of which, the cryogenic density combustion booster. I only saw this earlier today. Is apparently the same like prop design as the big pipe that they tried to use to stop the uh, the trash compactor from closing in A New Hope.
1: I thought I recognized it from somewhere, yeah.
0: And just the, the depths that these people will plumb... To reuse designs and Ralph McQuarrie stuff. No, and to give it context as well, never fails to to amuse me. Hmm. And secondly, uh, Peli Mado says that she dated a Jawa. I think it's the first time I've wanted to throw up <laughs> watching a Star Wars thing in a long time. She mentions that it's f- uh, fuzzy. I recall I never this. Needed to know.
1: Yeah, I recall. I recall this actually. Um, I. Kind of blanked over a lot of her dialogue uh, during that set, like that section. I just it didn't flow. Uh, it like a lot. It didn't flow, so a lot of it flew over me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I just overall, I I enjoyed this enough. that I'm just working on the ship because, as you said, it's fun to see the N one back. Hmm. But it's definitely not the most gripping part of the of this episode.
1: No, and I have no problem with Amy Sedaris. I like a, like a lot of the other characters that um, she plays in other shows, um, and I don't recall having any issue with her appearances as Pelly. Other than this, I think it was just this... It just didn't work for me in this episode.
0: I think the problem is they always want her to be funny. Mm. And I think Amy Sedaris is funny, but because this is so clearly scripted jokes because they're referencing obscure star wars stuff it doesn't really flow for her i think they should have just let her riff a bit yeah. obviously keep it to a limit yeah but uh yeah it's, it's a little awkward
1: uh, just a little
0: and and especially when you know the whole way through this episode like fennec shand and boba fett are looking for this dude mm. it's like when is this going to come into play
1: yeah yeah
0: and yeah it, his, it it was a bit disappointing when he came to Tatooine in the first place because I was hoping that the characters would have to leave Tatooine to look for this guy, but but he was just in the neighborhood.
1: Mm. Yeah, I wanted um, I wanted them to spend more time on Glavas. Uh, that place was so cool.
0: Yeah, hopefully we'll get to go back there during the at least the next season of Mandalorian, given yeah. that that's where the
1: his, the Coven
0: The Coven if he's allowed to to hang out with them
1: anymore. Yeah, is it that kind of club where they just, uh, you know, no homers He didn't pay
0: a subscription. (laughs) Adobe Mandalorian, he's no longer can use.
1: Oh, man. The ship leaves the hangar. Djarin inspects it and opines that the ship is ready. Peli agrees and allows Djarin to set up the ship. He climbs into the cockpit, fires it up, and takes the fighter into the air. He engages the ship's forward drive and flies above Moss Eisley. While Djarin flies, Peli tells him that he is used to flying a gunship, but to treat the new ship like a starfighter. After travelling through Beggar's Canyon, Djarin takes the ship into space. Uh, He is soon intercepted by two New Republic X-Wings. The pilot, Reed, asks Djarin to run his beacon for him. Djarin apologises and transmits his beacon. Reed observes that his engine model doesn't match his power drive de replies that he just built the ship and was taking for a test flight he says that he hasn't been able to update his registration reed tells him to relinquish his flight controls for remote control access the second new republic pilot cars carson Teva, tells reed to cancel that order since they can let de jaron go with a warning at this time and this whole um this whole segment is very much following the kind of I suppose this this a scene you'd encounter in tr- in a traditional like traffic stop um and i, f- I found this pretty humorous I, like i really enjoyed this
0: yeah this um this is a callback as well to they've encountered well Carson Teva was in mandalorian hmm. uh with his co-pilot dave filoni who uh, in the mandalorian sticks out for not being a very good actor <laughs> He's not terribly convincing. So I was glad to see that he wasn't here as much as I loved a man. I did not
1: know. <laughs> I did not realize that Filoni came out.
0: I think he, pl- he plays Trapper Wolf. Okay. It's the character's name, continuing hmm. his obsession with wolves, among other things.
1: Hmm. So Tiva notices his voice is familiar and asks if he is, used to fly a Razor Crest. Tiva says that he is connecting some dots and asks Dujaran if he minds answering a few questions. Djarin instead powers away and hurtles towards Tatooine. Djarin returns to Peli's hangar and tells her that he is impressed with the ship. She tells him that an old friend of his dropped by. Uh, but we'll get onto that in a sec. I think you look like you want to say something.
0: Well, <laughs> he doesn't just say that he is impressed with the ship. He says it is wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. He says that, which... <laughs> Fans of the Phantom Menace should be delighted by quoting everyone's favorite character, Kitster.
1: <laughs> oh my god,
0: <laughs> that's Wizard Annie. Oh my or god, or something like that.
1: Does he actually? Does he actually say wizard?
0: He does say wizard. Wow.
1: Well, when I'm Wait. tattooing, you know.
0: Which uh, I found funny because in the New Hope, I believe, uh, I believe Uncle Owen describes uh, Ben Kenobi as a, as an old wizard. So, I wonder, was he calling him like really cool?
1: Because
0: mm. that's apparently what it means.
1: Yeah, I mean. That
0: wizard's just a crazy old man, <laughs> which is one of my favorite quotes from anything.
1: Uh, yeah. Uncle Ben, uh, um, is that his name? No.
0: Uh, oh, sorry, Uncle Owen. Uncle Did I screw ben. that up? Uncle Ben is no. Spider Man. Uncle Ben is Spider Man, yeah. Um. And I think they cancelled Rice mascot, I don't think he's around anymore.
1: Yeah, no, they got rid of him. <laughs>
0: uh r.i.p he's probably starting a podcast with gina carano or something.
1: uncle owens definitely underrated he had some yeah he, he had some stuff to say i mean he he's been around tatooine a few times he knows he knows most
0: We we know, he's returning this year is in he? the obi-wan kenobi show yeah oh played played again by joel edgerton from the prequels do we have a
1: do we have a eta for that
0: Oh, Chris, it's Star Wars. We never know when it's coming out. Okay, good. It just happens.
1: Well, I wouldn't want them to spoil us. (laughs) This old friend of his that drops by is Fennec Shand. Uh, Shand asks Dejaren if he is looking for work. Dejaren isn't interested, and Shand tosses a bag of credits, saying that the pay is good. When Dejaren asks what the bounty is, Shand explains that Boba Fett would appreciate some muscle. Dejaren returns the bag of credits saying that it is on the house. He agrees to the job offer, but says that he will first have to visit a little friend. So there's kind of a lot of, uh, I don't know, notions, you know, packed into that. You know, T'Jaron is showing some of his principles. He's happy to do a little work for Boba. He sees some good in it. Um, But his priorities are clearly, pretty clearly Mm. outlined. (laughs)
0: it it, it could be read as like a statement of the Mandalorian versus the Book of Boba Fett as shows Mm. he comes in and he's like oh okay I'll do a few but I want to do like my own story first thank you very much (laughs) yeah (laughs) it it was nice to see um, Jaren refusing the money because they got like a little bit of a a friendly understanding
1: Yeah. Yeah. but
0: I was was indeed surprised to see that it seems like we're going to be visiting a little friend sooner than later
1: mm. yeah well I mean assuming that you know the show just goes back to Boba and we don't see dingy Jaren again
0: that's true it could be the case where he won't be in the next episode but he's going to be there for the finale mm. to do whatever he's going to do mm. but there's actually a little interesting point I was going to bring up earlier but I'm glad I left so earlier with the two X-Wings the pilot Reed is played by the guy who did the body double for the CGI Luke at the end of Mando season 2 yeah and of course that's where Grogu is he's with Luke so it's possible that we are going to actually see him in the show given that he's on set anyway it could have been a case where they gave him a cameo because he was already there or it could be just completely unrelated Mm. but I thought I should just say it
1: Uh, it makes sense it's pretty plausible
0: it makes sense. I was desperately hoping, though, and I still do, that they're not gonna do CGI Luke again, because I absolutely hated that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when you, like when you have a wealth of like practical effects experience, and it just looks good. It just looks really good. Like do do it.
0: Because Sebastian Stan is still out there, who has such a great resemblance to Mark Hamill and is a decent actor, who Disney already worked with quite a lot. I think uh, just like. him do it
1: i don't think it annoys like it does annoy me it's it's not it just break it just breaks it a bit
0: what did you think chris of the cgi huts who appeared earlier in the season
1: oh they were gross and and one (laughs) wonderful wonderfully wonderfully gross i guess but i don't know i don't know the twins i like what they were supposed to be fulfilling in terms of like story and stuff um but in terms of like visual visual presentation yeah really gross um so i guess like it succeeds in that respect. I would have liked I would have liked to have seen, you know, like puppets. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm still the puppet guy. Or
1: something else. I don't know. I do not I don't really hate CGI. I just don't feel no anything even really I. strong about it. Um like when I see a really great like puppet or robot or something, I'm like, oh that's you know, that's real. Like that mm. looks so tangible.
0: Yeah that's so that's pretty much where I am at it as well. So Hoping I'm surprised if we do see Mr. Skywalker again. But uh, I think the last thing the show needs is to have more original trilogy characters pop up. I think Boba's enough. But we'll see. Chris, do you have any final thoughts or hopes for what's to come?
1: I would like to see, and I'm sure we will see, um, a bit more Mandalorian before the finale. But not so much like this episode that it overshadows you know, the premise of the show. I don't know. I'm just happy. I'm happy to go with this, you know, this season and see where it, see where it, I mean, I think it's been kind of a, I think it's had a lot of ups and downs. Like, I think it's probably not been the smoothest first season of a show. Um, But I'm pretty happy with it. So I'm happy just to see it out.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm pretty much the same. This is after the second episode of this show. This is definitely my favorite one. But it feels like this is actually a six-episode series that they made seven by including mm. this episode. Not to say that it's filler; it's it's just it's very strange in context of a show that's about completely different characters. I
1: I would sh- I would say this was my favorite Book of Boba episode. If there was more Boba in it, it just doesn't fe- it doesn't really feel like it feels like much more like the Mandalorian. You know, that's like that's kind of what it is.
0: I thought it would have been really cool if they dropped this episode and it had the Mandalorian title come up and you realize mm. this is actually a stealth first episode of the third season. I think I thought that, that would be like a really exciting and weird thing you can do mm. because of the way streaming works. But you know, they did what they did and you know, go for it. That's, oh that's yeah. No,
1: I'm like, I'm, I'm very happy. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm happy just to see it out. I don't really have any aspirations. I try and come to a show with as few preconceptions um, as possible, uh, because I usually develop pretty heavy opinions afterwards, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, heavy opinions and Star Wars uh, kind of seem to go hand in hand.
1: Oh, yeah, bedfellows even. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so my, my hopes for what's to come is it goes back to being what this show is about, hmm. which is Boba Fett and what the hell his book is. <laughs> and yeah, to see what becomes of this crime empire. I did hope we'd be in a, a position of really knowing what where we're going at this point, but I've kind of given up on that. I'll see what I get. I I know I'm going to have to see Boba Fett writing a rancor probably in the last episode.
1: Oh, no, I thought you were going to say writing a book, but yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs>
0: Um, which is that kind of thing. is like, okay, I could see myself doing that, playing Lego.
1: And then being betrayed by Danny Trejo.
0: Well, that would honestly be a pretty cool ending if Danny Trejo was the secret villain. So, Chris, do you have anything to plug? Do you have any like social media you'd like people to follow you on or anything like that? I think you're pretty off the grid.
1: I am pretty off the grid. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, I make, and I also make music under the name uh, Chris H.T., um, I usually make a uh, small like album every February, so uh, yeah, maybe in March that'll be coming out. Um, other than that, uh can't really think of anything. My water filter is like in the process of exploding downstairs, and I want to turn it off.
0: <laughs> oh, crap. Well, do you want to run down while I do my plugs?
1: Yeah, I'll be back in like a second.
0: Okay. Well, Chris is off being a moisture farmer. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at... Niall the Glynn and on Letterboxd at revised name at Niall Glynn spelled L N Y L E G I L I N. My long discussed episode of the podcast The 250 about Superman 4 has just come out and I'm, I'm a man who really enjoys a bad movie and I think that's actually a kind of secretly good movie so if you want to hear me talk about that and make my case, check out The 250 podcast which is a really excellent show. So in the episode description, you'll find links to my fellow podcast hosts, Dave and Jake, their social media that we use on the show, or their Twitter handles and letterboxes. I know I said that they died in a purge, but who knows? They could come back. It's Star Wars. We can all come back. And you can find the Monday Lorians on Twitter, at Monday Lorians. And wherever you use Anchor, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, subscribe and follow us on there. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a rating. Give us a review, it'll help us go up in the rankings, more people can hear the nonsense that we discuss on the show. So Chris, thank you so much for coming on, filling in a a blank seat, because otherwise it would have been me talking at a wall.
1: Uh, Niall, thank you so much for having me, it's been really enjoyable, um, and I hope I get to return at some point.
0: Yeah, you are the first foundling that we've had on the show. I hope that doesn't sound condescending.
1: No, not at all. I, uh, I'm i more than happy to be the show's uh, baby Yoda. I don't know what species.
0: He's a Yoda.
1: He's a Yoda, yeah.
0: Next time you're back, I'll get you a Beskar chainmail vest that you can wear in a hot summer months. Little Sweet. Beskar wife beater.
1: Sweet, no one can touch me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no one can touch you. So until next week, we're... I don't know who I'll be joined by. That's kind of the fun. It's been a bit of a wild ride. This is the way.
1: This is the way.
0: This is the way. This is the way.